Hello and welcome to Rocket's Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom and our memories of the Lion King. I'm Simone de Rochefort. I'm a senior video producer at Polygon.com. And I'm here today with Brianna Wu, a Democratic candidate for Congress in the great state of Massachusetts. We are rolling Christina List this week because she is in Mumbai in India doing the very last Microsoft Ignite tour appearance that she will do this year. We're going to have Christina back, guys. I know. it's It's been really hard, like, scheduling Rocket with Christina, like, traveling a world tour like Ta- Taylor Swift. Like, it's it's hardcore, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't even, and, I mean, frankly, like, you and I, we've just been, you know, bopping around between Wednesday or Monday or Tuesday. Christina is the one who's been like, it's 6 a.m. and I'm going to record Rocket, or it's like 10 p.m. <laughs> and I'm going to record Rocket, because time zones. So I really appreciate the times that she has been able to yes. dial into the show, um, yes. especially the time from Australia, even though really that was the easiest in time zone terms. But this time, no. But next week, no. she'll be back in Seattle and everything will be back to normal. We'll, we'll have Rocket the way that the Lord intended it with all three yeah. of us. If you want, I I can't promise that this will happen, Rocket listeners, but if there's a topic that Bria and I talked about where you're like, I want Christina's two-second take on that, tweet them at me at DoomQuasar on Twitter, and maybe we can do, like, if I get any tweets, we can do, like, a fun segment where it's like Christina gets to say five words about a topic that she didn't get to cover (laughs) on the show. And you can and get we're the... really strict about that because yes. five words will turn into 5,000 words. I know. Actually, it's just a whole show. <laughs> we, we take the week off and Christina talks. <laughs> but no, um, let's let's try to get into it, y'all. Um, y'all, right. you, you won. <laughs> Did you just appropriate my culture? No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Can, can I ask a question before this is? I, I my team told me I could not tweet this question, oh, so no. I want to ask it to you on the show. So I saw this three D print for samurai armor for your dog, <gasps> for your dog. But my dog Rocket is a Havanese dog. She's Cuban. So if we dressed her in samurai oh, armor, Chris, would that be Bri- cultural appropriation? Brianna, yes. I can't answer that for you. You can't answer that? I don't know. I feel like she has a samurai spirit, though. I think any any armor that you put on any dog is appropriate. Yes, Because we have to that. protect them. If there's one thing that I learned from watching John some episodes Wick. of Game of Thrones, John Wick and Game of Thrones, is yes. that we have to protect our dogs. Yes, I and completely armor agree armor is that. the way to do that. But we hey, also have to... wasn't protected this week? Huawei? Huawei. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) So, so much action has culminated this week. Um, If you've been following Huawei in the news, you know that they have had, there's just been growing tension where there was a Huawei representative who was detained in Canada, and then China, of course, in return, detained some Canadians. And there's just been general nervousness between our government and Huawei that revolves around the potential of building out 5G cellular networks, where there were concerns in the security community that either there would be backdoors in Huawei-built cell towers, or that as a software provider, Huawei could then push malicious updates to people's phones. And I want to say there's no smoking gun. They haven't found a smoking gun, but intelligence agencies 
thought, okay, this is a concern and the risk here is too great for us to proceed and let you do this. And this week, our government, the U.S. government, uh, put Huawei (laughs) on a restricted entity list, which basically said, okay, American companies, you can't sell to them. And as a result of that, a lot of things happened that don't even necessarily involve U.S. companies. Uh, One of them was that Google revoked Huawei's Android license. Uh, Microsoft removed the MateBook Pro X from the Microsoft Store. And there is talk that they may revoke Huawei's Windows license. And then, um, very notably, Arm Holdings, which is not an American company but has parts that are um, manufactured in the U.S., the, the chip designer, they also cut ties with Huawei as of now, uh, which is probably the most disastrous of all those things because Android could potentially be forked and Huawei could convince developers to make things for that fork. But the fork would run on ARM chips. So losing yeah. access to that means that Huawei is in a position where eventually, in, unless something changes in their relationship with ARM, they will have to potentially start manufacturing their own chips, which is something that would be a long-term huge change for them. Can can I add just a little bit more to that excellent summary, Simone? Please do. Uh, what, what, at, what kind of launched all this off is we've talked about this on the show. Uh, for me as a federal candidate for our office, I've gotten... Um, notices from the Democratic Party saying, don't use Huawei phones. Don't uh, let anyone on your team use a Huawei phone. I saw that. I was like, wow, that's a very strong statement. Uh, There have been concerns that Huawei technology, uh, both with software and hardware, has basically spyware built into that. Those fears, uh, after basically a meeting in Washington where a lot of these uh, tech companies were invited to, Uh, Huawei was added to what the U.S. uh, Department of Commerce calls the entities list. And with that entities list, it's basically, um, it's a a list of companies that the United States, companies in the United States are legally barred from doing business with uh, without a specific written exception. So um, this is a, it's a very, very aggressive move. It's worth saying, uh, mentioning that earlier this year when, uh, you know, a daughter of uh, the the billionaire founder of Huawei, she was detained in Vancouver. A lot's been written about that. She was actually uh, arrested on charges for basically breaking that same thing by potentially uh, using technology with Iran. So, mm. um, yeah, this is, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on it, Simone, before I kind of get into it? It's hard for me to to parse exactly, because I don't know, obviously, I'm not an intelligence agency. I don't have secret information about Huawei. My first instinct is it is to to judge this company and say, okay, this is it's a Chinese company that could be spying on us. That seems kind of cold war-y and racist and paranoid to me. That yeah. being said, it is I I certainly do not trust the Chinese government. Mm-hmm. Um I don't trust our own government, but uh, as far as governments go, um I would I you know, I I they're Certain governments that I just don't want to be spied on by, um, and the Chinese government is one of them. Sure. Uh, so, for me, it is it is difficult to judge the 
the effect this will have on, on me personally or whether it's the right thing to do. It kind of seems like it's something that could potentially ripple out and escalate in a very scary way where, okay, if, if Huawei can't do business with us, maybe none of the other Chinese tech companies can do business with us. And that is potentially like a very scary situation where we get into this like 5G Cold War with uh, <laughs> well, another world it, yeah. superpower that I frankly would rather get along with than not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's very well founded. Um, I've been on the BBC four times this week talking about this story. Um, there, there are a lot of things to unpack here. Uh, so I'm going to kind of reach in and find my inner Christina and, yeah. and go through it. So let's take it at the top. Um, spyware. Yeah, looking at this from the beginning, Simone, uh, you know, these are legitimate concerns. Mm -hmm. Like we are, we should have had a conversation a long time ago about a process for securing uh, the hardware and the software that we're using here in the United States, particularly hardware and software that is used by uh, you know, federal government employees. Um, the the truth is, there's not really a process for that. So, this which is, is a, horrifying and very short sighted. It, absolutely, uh, you know, we killed the federal agency tasked with uh, evaluating technology. Uh, actually, in the Bill Clinton what? era, which is what? amazing. It's absolutely true. Um, so this is it's a very legit problem, and I also think it's worth saying. People on every side of the aisle have been damaged by uh, spyware. Like, look at the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016. You have Guccifer 2.0, which is a Polish hacking group, allegedly, that's funded by Russia, that, you know, got John Podesta to click on that link <laughs> and uh, you know, basically yeah. stole all of this information, uh, upsetting that campaign and affecting the future of the United States. This is a serious problem. Um, now, as far as specific evidence that Huawei phones and technology have spyware in them, it's very hard to prove a negative. But what we can say accurately is that there's no proof that's been presented to the American public. None. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no hardware that we can point to. There's no software backdoor. There's no court case. There's no credible allegations out there. There's 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 nothing. Now uh, it's really important to remember when United States intelligence operates, uh, intelligence agencies are operating. You know, they can't reveal sources and methods because that compromises the lives mm -hmm. of agents in the field. So it's entirely possible that you know a CIA asset could be you know, working at Huawei and could have knowledge behind the scenes of this and that they can't tell the public about that uh, because it would endanger sources and methods. So I think that's a possibility. But the truth is, at this point, you mentioned at the start of the show that this kind of strikes you as racist and extreme. I think that's a very reasonable conclusion for the public to draw without any further information. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that that does make sense to me because I I've often struggled with the idea of information in our modern age, especially when it comes to war and intelligence operations and things like that, because I feel like we do have an expectation that 
we we want news, we want it now, we want it, we deserve, and we want to know what's happening. I also think that at the same time, governments obviously need that secrecy to operate and of course, to, yeah. Which I, I mean, during World War II, there were so many things that the public didn't hear about until long after because they were operations that are happening secretly overseas. Um, and then on the same token, like this is why there's no right answer here for me. On the same token, the government may not necessarily at all times have our best interests at heart. I think China's right. government certainly doesn't have its people's best interests at heart all the time. Um, so that's why I'm kind of like in a ugh, situation here where yeah. I, I don't think I deserve to know what the government's reasoning behind this is. Um, but I'm not necessarily going to trust that this is the right thing to do. But, you know, it's not my decision to make. I think that's a very valid uh, way to feel. So I'd, I'd like to take a step back now and look at um, basically an economic cold war uh, and what the ramifications Please of that Please do, because I am very be. interested in this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hope this isn't too like, No, no, I'm genuinely interested um, because I the way that things are escalating trade-wise between us and China is scary and big in a way where I can't really comprehend the scale because our you, economies you are so intertwined. Right. And you should be scared. I think there's a very classist sense with a lot of people in the tech industry that, you know, Trump's trade war with China doesn't affect us. We ship code that goes everywhere. Well, that is going to change um, if we stay on this current course. I'd really encourage you to think about uh, if you have an iPhone or an Android phone in your hand, um, you know, it has rare earth minerals in it that are mined from, you know, probably somewhere like Af uh, like Afghanistan. Um, it's running on a processor that's probably fabbed and manufactured in China. It has code that's probably written on it by Americans. And it's running software that is funded by venture capitalists in Russia, Israel, France, uh, literally every country around the world. Tech is a particularly interdependent, um, an in interdependent industry. So, what the danger is in the United States being so aggressive and singling out Huawei without any proof? I want you to take a second and think about what would happen if China did the same thing to us here. They're already um, not taking our recycling, and that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Apple's last really big, you know, profitable quarter was when the iPhone was expanded into China. Mm -hmm. What happened? It, what would happen if China said, "You know what? We don't have any certification process to prove that Apple is not working with the U.S. government to spy on us." Yeah. Um. So we're going to ban that. That's an like that's tip for tap, right? Yeah. Um, they would be probably totally within their rights to do that, frankly. Right. Um, so think about that with Broadcom chips, with, uh, you know, uh, think about that with like Microsoft window, Windows. Well, honestly, that was my Azure. thought with right. ARM because our ARM is uh, UK-based and I think Japan-owned, even though some of their designs are manufactured in Texas. But that must if if they if they don't sell to Huawei and then by extension decide not to sell to other Chinese companies, that's a huge part of the tech market. That's massive. Right. That can't be. That's bad for Huawei and it's bad for them. And it's bad for us. Um, so, and now think about this: if we really force this with Huawei, 
uh, think about where this could lead us in 10 years. Uh, Huawei is already talking about developing its own operating system. I want to tell you a story about uh, a Christmas that I had with a um, some people in my, my husband's family, uh, including some very young Chinese girls. And I, I got to see how they use Chinese technology, um, which, by the way, no copyright whatsoever. <laughs> Just type in any song and download it instantly. I want you to awesome. think about what would happen if China and Huawei, which is the third most powerful smartphone, phone manufacturer in the world right now, developed its own operating system and sold it free to everyone. And that started spreading through Russia, through China, through all these other countries. And the kind of center of the tech industry started migrating there. Um, you know, Maybe we wouldn't do that in America, but it sure would kind of balkanize the rest of the world mm-hmm. from using this software. And if you're worried about spying and privacy, that's the moment that you've really got something um, that should give anyone tremendous pause going on. So um, the the bottom line, so here, Simone, is uh, the Trump administration is playing a very, very high-stakes game on this subject uh, in, yeah. in one that doesn't really make any sense. If we are worried about Huawei phones having spyware and the hardware and software, Huawei has has said publicly, they're like, look, if you have these fears, we are willing to work with you on a certification process. And yeah, I think it's worth saying, it's very hard to be 100% clear on this because you can't prove a negative. It's very hard to prove that code doesn't have a backdoor in it, but you can you can get pretty sure. Right. Mm-hmm. So they've talked about opening up this to auditing, external auditing, which is a pretty good solution. Wow. They're, and they're I, open to that? They are. That's cool. Or at least they said they would be open to steps like that. So, checkmate. You know, what? Well, it's just like, why don't we try to work with them before we like blow up um, the entire United States economy? It just doesn't make sense. This Honestly, yes. Okay, that that I think is the first thing that someone has said that I do feel certain about. Because uh-huh. like, whatever I can't know about intelligence, I can know that keeping an open dialogue, to me seems like a more practical, stable, long-term solution to conflict with a, a country that, frankly, is or is going to uh, succeed us as the most powerful nation in the world. Well, I don't know if I agree with that, but I, I would say um, I, I would say we have to form relationships with other people, and when it comes to cybersecurity. Hunting down, you know, uh, criminals, mobsters, sex traffickers. Yeah, the truth is, Simone, we need to start working with other nations. We mm-hmm. need to form. We, and it's not just me that's saying this. Like there are former intelligence officials who say, if we're really serious about cybersecurity, what we need is to form basically 
um, almost a UN of technology where yeah. we have extradition of data and information. So let's say someone in Russia is um, you know, doing sex trafficking into the United States. By the way, sex trafficking, much more valuable a thing to smuggle into the United States than drugs really? are. Wow. Yeah, That's it's, it's drastically more. Well, the, the financial incentives are there. So if we're serious about this, we need to start trading information about bank statements and, you know, free yeah. exchange of these dark web sites and, and, and the internet traffic from them. We can solve these problems, but we can't solve it if the United States just throws up a wall and, and yeah. thinks we can go you it alone. You cannot That's, throw up a digital wall in any permanent no. sense. It just, right. Or a real wall for that matter. But uh, <laughs> it just, it doesn't make sense because like as we've discussed so often on this show, it, technology is a constant arms race things are always being hacked things are always being improved like there's you to your point cannot balkanize we cannot balkanize ourselves because that's a surefire way for us to fall behind the rest of the world yeah i agree um so good place to leave it yeah uh, uh, people out there if you differ with me i would love to know your opinion so shoot me a tweet (laughs) my opinion is that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Pingdom. <laughs> uh, Wills, you've been listening to this podcast. Brianna, how would you know if your site had gone down? I would not unless Pingdom was right there to help me. Yeah, yeah. Because guess what? If if your site had gone down and say people weren't able to access BriannaWu2020.com, <laughs> Pingdom would know about it. Uh, and then they would tell you in whatever way it's best for you to learn that information. Maybe that informa- Maybe that way isn't like texting you, Brianna Wu, and saying, hey, side's down. Maybe it's texting your IT team or whoever the relevant person is to, that has the information that can solve that issue. Pingdom will, will send the information to those people and um, boom, problem solved. And then you don't have to worry about like, are people out there on my website trying to access something that they cannot, becoming angry and frustrated and thinking that I'm a, a, a poo website owner who, who can't own a website for poo. <laughs> yeah, they are thinking that unless you know about problems and you can fix them. Pingdom are dedicated to making the web faster and more reliable, which means they use more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. All Pingdom needs is your URL, and then they take care of the rest. So don't risk being the last one to know about something on your site breaking, unless you have a Pingdom system in place where the person who needs to know finds out first, and then you waltz into work and everyone's like, there was a problem, but we fixed it, don't worry, because we have Pingdom and the correct person was alerted to the problem. Start <laughs> monitoring your site today. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And then when you sign up, use the code ROCKET at checkout to get an awesome 30% off your first invoice. That's again, pingdom, P-I-N-G-D-O-M, Dot com. You can tell it's a P because of all the plosives I'm doing in your ears. Dot com slash Relay FM. And then they offer code Rocket for 30% off. Thank you so much, Pingdom, for your support of Rocket and Relay FM. Hey, Brianna. How do what you up? feel about these them new MacBooks? All right. All right. So hit me I, up, baby. Uh, 
So I, I am torn on this. You know, when we were developing Rev60, I, I was very committed to staying on Mac the entire time, even though Unreal Engine, uh, we had to do a lot of work in Windows to, to ship this game, particularly with uh, uploading it to the App Store. So my, my heart literally sings, Simone, when I see that a new MacBook has come out. And even though we haven't gotten uh, you know an Ars Technica teardown of it, uh, the the new cores in them, they look great. I have every expectation this is going to be faster and awesome and just unbelievable. Um, but the the thing that the press seem to cling to in the reporting on this mm-hmm. are the the lingering concerns about the keyboard. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good place to pick it up. Um, so yeah. yeah, these new MacBooks were announced, um, and Apple has acknowledged publicly they it will have a new kind of keyboard a new formation of keyboard that will address the butterfly keys issue that we have been talking about for years for some years now where small things will creep underneath those beautiful new keys and become stuck there and your keyboard will become unusable and then apple will need to replace the entire bottom half of your laptop because that's how things work so new keyboards. Uh, The thing that people have latched onto is that Apple has included these new keyboards, which haven't been released yet, on the list of um, service replacements, their keyboard service replacement list, or keyboard replacement service list, sorry, uh, which they created because of the butterfly keyboard. So people who have those first and second generation, I believe now third generation butterfly keys can get free keyboard replacements. Um, And the new keyboards are also on that list. So people are feeling concerned, like, wait, if you're including it on this list, are you admitting that maybe you haven't fixed the problem? And then other people are like, actually, this is just a respectful way uh, for them to release a new keyboard and show that, like, you you can take the risk, which is a risk because we have failed you for years. You can take the risk because even if we haven't fixed it, we'll still have your back. Um, where do you fall on this, Bree? Well, I I think what I would advise someone is, well, I, I can tell you what I'm going to do. Um, I am not going to buy a new Apple laptop until, until I see Ars Technica tear it down and give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down as far as this seems to have fixed the problem. Here on Rocket, I actually feel a little bit guilty uh, when they changed the 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 keyboards to add a uh, plastic membrane around them to like keep dust out. Mm-hmm. We kind of said this looks like the problem is solved. The problem was not solved. <laughs> so um, you know, I think that it would be reasonable for any consumer out there to say. I, I need to see proof. I need to see a teardown. I'm not sold yet. And it's just, it's really worth saying there is no feature that Apple can bring forward on these MacBooks, not better battery life, not a tweaked screen that's a little better, not a faster core that is more important than mm-hmm. the keyboard. There's no reason to own a laptop in 2019 if you don't need to type a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, this is this is really make or break for Apple. And just uh, from a mechanical engineering standpoint, how can making this out of a new material affect 
like the fact that gunk can get in these keys and affect the uh, the the typing mechanism. Right? I don't, I've got no I don't friggin' clue. It. I really I I want them to fix it. I am still frustrated that it has taken this long. You know, I'm I'm also like frustrated that I I think even in the beginning, like you said, I I gave them a pass. I'm like, oh, these keys, they feel nice, whatever. Um, but as it's just gone on and on, you know, it's been some, it's been two or three years. Is that true? It's already been that long. Like, I think it's been four years. Four actually. freaking years. Um, it is ridiculous that they haven't fixed it yet. It is ridiculous that they were like, no, it's not a problem. Even as they were releasing fixes, um, legal, you know, jargonese, though that may have been. Um, I am, I do fall in the camp of, I am glad that they are continuing to offer keyboard replacements because frankly, at this point, like, I, I do think that that's a gesture of goodwill towards the consumer. Um, that being said, better not need to use it right see i i mean i uh, i feel like that's not the best i mean it's it's the bare minimum that i expect for apple it's not a panacea well yeah um, i mean yeah, the ideal would be any machine you buy the it is durable enough that a piece of dust can't lay it out Right. Um, you know, just to kind of remind Rocket listeners, I had uh, the first generation of this with the MacBook, the very thin one. And I got a little tiny dent in the corner and Apple flat out refused to fix my keyboard because of this small dent in the casing, a dent that anyone that uses their laptop with regular use yeah. is going to do. So this this expanded program, this is why it doesn't cover. doesn't cover cases like that. It certainly doesn't cover anyone that just gave up on their machine and decided to bite the bullet and upgrade, something I've done twice. Um, and and frankly, you know, Simone, I'm if you're a busy professional person, it is such a pain in the patookas mm-hmm. to get an appointment with Apple, go down there, drop it off, go pick it up, spend an hour both times waiting for the geniuses to get their their stuff together. Um, and there are lots of people out there where their MacBook is their only computer. I've got several of them, but yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm weird. And I think most people, if you're talking about not having your computer for a week, this is not a minor inconvenience. Oh, so, absolutely not, no. Like yeah. if I if I were working as a freelancer, for example, and just had my one laptop to edit things on, boy, yeah, that would be life destroying, you know. Yeah. So, um, I think you know, like, just being objective here, I think I we all want Apple to fix this problem. We all want Apple to succeed. Um, they just they've lost some public trust, and they need to earn it back. Um, mm-hmm. Is this it? We just don't know. And I, I, I can't wait not, to find out, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's hope they did. Um, I just don't understand why they're sticking with this fundam- this design that seems fundamentally flawed because the perception about this keyboard problem is not going to go away until, yeah. frankly, the keyboard looks and feels different. Like, do you think, honestly, on that note, for a person who has heard, like, oh, those new MacBooks, they're, they're flimsy, they break easily. 
what level of publicity does this new keyboard or new keyboard material have to get to assuage the regular person who is buying laptops? I don't think this is going to, I don't think what Apple has done here is going to assuage Mm -hmm. the general public. Um, I still think they're going to kind of be the butt of a joke. Because even if they say like, oh, new keyboard, it's like, well, yeah, because you made a, a bad one. You made one that breaks. Don't brag about that. (laughs) And I also think, you know, uh, Simone, my my husband, he got an iPhone XR. You know, it's the the one that's uh, 10R. God, I'm never going to stop saying that. You know, they really messed up there, too. (laughs) Right. I don't blame you at all. It's a bad name. (laughs) But it's uh, thicker. It's much thicker than my iPhone is. My iPhone 10 is. And well, like you don't have normal. to brag about it, Brie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm carry out. on. Bye, everybody. Uh, bye, everyone. Have a good night. Show. I can't top that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, my point is, here's a phone, and they made it a little bit bigger, and I don't think any reasonable person is going to notice. I really genuinely believe if Apple didn't increase the the weight of the MacBook substantially, but they did increase the case thickness to go back to a more reliable keyboard design, I think most people would accept that. Yes. I am okay with that too. Honestly, <laughs> make things work, even if they're a little bit ugly. You know, yeah. that's my motto. Make Just it, make it a little thick. Make it, make it a little saying. thick. All right. Shall we move on to our last exciting topic of the night? Let's do it. This is my dessert, baby, because I'm excited. Oh, gosh. So uh, the Oculus Quest, which is Oculus's new headset, which is a VR headset that does not run on a computer, is awesome. Is it? It's awesome, you guys. It's really, really good. So there is, we just got one in the office um, a couple days ago, and I've been messing around with it. And it just, let me go back and explain the original, the process of setting up a a piece of VR equipment, whether it be the Vive, whether it be the Oculus Rift, uh, you hook things up to, you hook the headset up to your computer. You painstakingly place little beacons around your living space. Uh, you move furniture out of the way. You put the VR headset on your head and you using a program like try to make sure the beacons are tracking the headset and also the controllers in your hands. You try to set up a virtual space that the headset then knows is okay for you to play in. You try not to lose contact with the sensors while you're having fun frolicking in your virtual space. I put on the Oculus Quest. One, no cables attaching me to a big PC because there is no PC. It's in the headset. Two, there's a setup thing. What does it ask me? It says, touch the floor with your controllers. Okay, now it knows where the floor is. Draw a line around the space that you're in. I can see, you know, the desks around me. So I draw a line with the controllers. I'm ready to play a game now. It was that freaking fast. And it just... It freaking worked, Brie. It was everything that, like, it completely removes the barrier of this is hard. This takes up a lot of space. This needs additional expensive equipment that has been a huge barrier to getting VR out into the world. And the cheapest one, the 64 gigabyte one, costs $399, $400. 
and the 128 one is $500. So that's, I think, half the price of what the, um, oh, the bigger uh, VR stuff costs. I spent, I spent about $1,800 on my, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I'm uh, finding a little bit of laryngitis that left me oh, off no. the show last week. Uh, I spent about $1,800 uh, on my my PC uh, with the uh, graphics card on it to do this. Uh, then the Oculus, I believe that cost, um, what, about five $600? And then the Oculus Touch was another three fifty dollars at the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is a little better. $4.99 <laughs> comes with two touch controllers. Wow. Yeah. So for me, like the the downside, obviously, because there there has to be a downside at that price, is the graphical uh, fidelity is just not quite as good because it it's not tracking you three sixty degrees all the time when you turn right. and look. It has to process. But frankly, because of the way that VR works and because of how immersive it is, uh, my experience with playing Beat Saber and Journey to the Gods was. I I do not notice a downgrade. And I was talking to my coworker, Ben Kuchera, who uh, reviewed, I did, I believe he did review the unit. Um, and he was playing Robo Recall, which is a more like graphically intensive game. Like this game has a more photorealistic or more high fidelity cityscape, and you're teleporting around and grabbing photorealistic robots and ripping them apart. That's something that looks really beautiful and shiny um, with the regular Oculus Rift. Um, and when you watch video of Robo Recall playing on the Quest, it looks crappy. But yeah. when you are in it and you are immersed in that, your brain just your brain doesn't go. This looks like a PS One. He says your brain goes, "Heck yeah, I am a god and I am killing these robots." So for, I haven't tested that one yet. But from my experience playing the couple games that I played, it it did feel responsive. It felt totally immersive. And more than that, it felt like I, I just you turn it on, you put it on your head and you're going, which is amazing. So I, I have a couple of questions. Um, and, and by the way, Robo Recall, I consider that the best game on uh, Oculus. It's really, really good. It's, yeah, uh, it's, super it's hot basically the, the best. metrics, the matrix. Absolutely. Right? Um uh, so am I right in remembering uh, for me to get the Oculus to really work? Um, it comes with two cameras that set up outside of it. And then you set up a camera behind you. Like I invested in a third camera, if I'm remembering I believe the third is optional, but it, yeah, yes. it was optional. But I found when I was spinning around, I just frankly, playing Robo Recall in Space <laughs> Pirate Simulator. It was just better. Am I, does this not need that now? No, it doesn't need it because all the cameras are built into the headset. Uh, so all it needs is to be on and on your head, huh. which is amazing. Um, and like I said, it, it does create like, because it's not, it, it would create like in games like Super Hot or even Space Pirate Trainer, like, because it's basically not seeing behind you in the same way that, um, you know, a video game on the PS4, you know, it's not showing all around you all the time. It's processing as you're looking. Um, it's it's doing that kind of thing. So it definitely, I, I really want to play a game like Super Hot on it because I want to know like how that affects l- turning around in the environment and tracking enemies as you are moving through an environment. Um 
because that game's definitely more intense when it comes to that. But yeah, as far as the cameras go, it, it's just like it's all built into the headset. So, but if it's built into a headset, like if you move a, like with Space Trap Pirate Trainer, right? You're doing shield, you're moving it up, you're moving it down. Like mm-hmm. you're, it's a real workout, that game. It really um, is. And I mean, if you move the touch controller where the the visor may not be, have clear line of sight, does it just glitch out? How does that work? I didn't notice that happening, and now I kind of want to test that. I don't remember that coming up in the review that I read at all, but I do. I do think that that would be that's a question that I have to answer. Right. It still has what like, about, yeah. sorry, it still has like barriers come up in the cameras or like in, in what you are seeing when you are like touching walls and stuff. Right. Um, so I'm not sure like if when I if I reach behind myself and there are a wall behind me, if it would be able to warn me about something like that or if it would lose touch with the controllers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How is the, the you know, one of the things that uh, is really concerning about this is the uh, the the power, right? Like VR is a very computationally expensive uh, process. And I'm sure they've gone through and like programmed this and assembly and gone down to the metal as much as they can to optimize it. But um, that's still going to require a lot of battery power. Mm-hmm. So that's all on your head how is it heavy is it how is the battery life like how does all this work it's a bit heavy so the battery is like two to three hours which is enough for vr you know because it's unpleasant i think to be in it for even that long um yeah Uh, When I was talking to my coworker clayton he actually just got one so he was using it to watch youtube in bed um, and he said at that point it did start to feel a little heavy because he was just sitting there and looking at a video rather than playing a game. So I do think that my ideal update would be for it to be more powerful and also lighter, which I know is kind of like a paradox. That's too much for me to ask for both of those things at once. But um, yes, it certainly it certainly does have a heft to it. Uh, hmm. I didn't notice it in a negative way when I was playing like Space Pirate Trainer and Beat Saber and Journey to the Gods because again I was super absorbed in those things um but I think that yeah if I were like sitting in my bed with it just like on my face that might be something where I'd start to become conscious of it okay well you sold me yeah. so I'm looking I mean, on the site is this on sale yet ultimately yeah. what it comes down to is you want VR you want to be able to take VR to like show to people who don't have a PC. It has one bag that has every single thing that you need in it, and it costs four hundred dollars. It's as good as as we have right now until like the next most powerful thing comes out that doesn't attach to a PC. And like, frankly, it is tempting for me to like wait for that next generation of things so that I could be just have a little more juice. Um, but for me, the idea of like I could get this it could be shipped to my house it is out right now you can get one um the fact that i could bring this like on a plane and show it to my mom where before like the only way i would ever be able to get her or her husband or anyone who doesn't have a gaming pc to experience vr would be to bring them into my office that's a huge selling point for me yeah no definitely i mean especially because it's like 
when you're trying to boot up VR and you haven't played it in a while, it's like a PlayStation, Sony PlayStation, and that will need a million updates. And then your entire setup may break. Like that's yeah. happened to me a million times. I've had to reinstall Windows. This is Oculus Go? Is Quest. this the same Oculus thing? Quest. I, I believe okay, it is. Oculus it, Quest. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. okay. Yeah. Because I was like, wait, this is way. This is super cheap. Okay, that is that super makes cheap. A lot of sense Go to is me. very cheap. Um, yeah, like for me, no matter what the the technical limitations, like I mentioned, the lower processing power, that is totally mitigated for me by the fact that it's something that you can just pop on your head and it works. Yeah, so that's that where sense. I am. Awesome. You sold me, Simone. Yay! You sold me. Oh, Michelle. Uh for Facebook. Sorry, everyone. Uh <laughs> what are you up to this week, Brie? Uh, I'm heading to California to do some fundraising and uh, to uh, basically my husband is going to a science fiction convention. So, so much of our marriage ends up being about, you know, me and the campaign and Frank sat me down. He's like, I really need us to go out here so I can see my friends. And I'm like, of course, (laughs) of course we can do that. So uh, I'm doing that. And Simone, I am closing on my house <gasps> in seven days. Congratulations. I'm, I am so psyched. This is a 2,500 square foot house. It is beautiful. Um, we're going to have to do some work on it. Like I'm going to have to build a fence in the backyard for our dogs. Um, but it's the woman that we're buying it for from. She works at Akamai here in Boston. She has like been OCD about maintaining the house. Uh, it is just stunningly beautiful. So um, I'm just I'm thrilled. I'm about to be a homeowner. Oh my God, I am very happy for you and very jealous. Well, when you come to Boston, you'll have to come over and see it. Yay. Uh, I'm actually planning a road trip to Boston around the end of June, so we'll talk. Ooh, okay. Um, what am I up to this week? I'm going to an Oscar or what? Either Oscar Wilde or Dorian Gray themed eh, dance party? Musical dance party? I don't really know what yeah. I'm doing this weekend. It's going to be fun, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we're just gearing up for E3. So everything that you hear from me for the next, like, two weeks is just going to be this large vacant stare into the distance but frankly (laughs) like it's a lot to do to prepare but e3 is gonna suck this year because they're like it's dying (laughs) you know yeah yeah i mean it's been a tough year for our industry overall but um you know on top of that yeah e3's really got some problems so yeah there's just the financial motive motives for these companies to spend a lot of money on travel and space in LA and bring everyone out there and set up all this technology to show games to people like that's just not a, a sustainable I, I don't think it's sustainable and I think people I think big companies like I mean obviously Sony's lost interest in it uh, Nintendo moved their press conferences completely to online like ugh, they're they're tired of it they're moving on to different ways to reach people uh, I know you probably can't talk about, but there was a, a story that came out uh, last week about uh, E3 and the ESA and some issues with leadership there. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's probably it's a uh, it's been a tough week for E3 yeah, and for the video hard. game industry. It's hard. <sighs> oh, there oh. it is. Yep. All right. Uh, where can we find you online, Bree? 
Sure. You can, uh, so if you want to support uh, my congressional campaign, please go to supportbrianna.com. Uh, just want to tell our listeners again, I raised more from individuals than a 20-year sitting member of Congress did last quarter, which is stunning. Um, so we're we're really doing everything right. Uh, in fact, uh, as soon as I get off recording this uh, call, my um, my uh, campaign manager just had a conference with one of the biggest LGBT PACs. Uh, we're seeking their endorsement. So um, it's really going well this time, Simone. I'm really, really happy with it. I'm so uh, glad, seeking... even though you got laryngitis. I know, from all the call time Ugh. I've been doing. Um, so you can do that by going to supportbrianna.com. You can see me on Twitter at Brianna Wu. And you can find me on Facebook by going to developer Brianna Wu. All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar and at youtube.com slash polygon. If you like this show, please do consider reviewing it on Apple Podcasts because that's a great way for other people to start liking this show, which is super important for us, like having a good show. Uh, and of course, uh, that's the only thing that I say on this show because on my other show, I tell you about our email address, but I don't do that on this one. I'm done with the things that I need to say to you, which leaves me with my final point, which is that this episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.